This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. You know, ever since I moved to Gilmer, I remember the very, I was pregnant when I moved to Gilmer with Raymond. And they always talked about Satan. Gilmer talked about Satan worshipers all the time. They were the weirdest. I mean, I always thought that was so weird. I'll never forget one time everybody was picking up their daughters and stuff from junior high because they were supposed to sacrifice the blonde virgin. This is Tammy Jo Smith. It was the mid-80s when Tammy moved to Gilmer, about seven years before the disappearance of Kelly Day Wilson. Before the investigation into satanic rituals, cannibalism, and murder that shocked the small East Texas town. At the time, Tammy had no idea that Gilmer's fear of the devil would forever change her life and all but tear apart her family. The Satan worshippers were trying to grab a girl, you know, the blonde virgin to sacrifice to the devil. And that was the first rumors I heard in Gilmer. And I'm like, they got a freaking church on every corner in this damn town, literally. I mean, literally. There's 50 freaking church. I mean, I mean, there's a church everywhere. But all I ever heard people talk about was Satan worshipers. So I never met one Satan worshiper the whole 15 years I was <laughs> I never met one. <laughs> and still to this day, I don't know if I've ever met one. And the funny thing, too, is my girlfriend lived out in the country in Pritchett, and she'd say, I hear, I hear chanting, and I hear, you know, and she'd always say, I think there's sacrifice. I'm like, it's probably the freaking Ku Klux Klan because they're so prejudiced. They're meeting out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> doing their little thing. I've always thought that. I've always thought their Ku Klux Klan was the big satanic thing they were talking about. Tammy was just 17 when she settled in Gilmer and had her oldest son, Raymond. Not long after, Tammy met a man named Don. I was very into the church community, the Pentecostal church. I met Don at church. He was a good-looking older man, and I thought that he was coming over to my house, actually, to see my mom, because he's older than I am. And so I, I never looked at him really as a boyfriend type, you know, until later. I mean, like a month later. But he was a friendly. I thought he was smart and good looking and funny and all the good things. Now he's not as funny as he used to be, but <laughs> he thinks he's funny now. Here's Dawn. Woo, man, I was had a picture of her. The sweeter you got to Tammy, the sweeter she was back. My name is Don Holman. I've got uh, two honorable discharges in the Army, four years in Hell on Wheels, two six-month tours in Germany. And now I'm noted for being a Bible-holic. I mean, I'm a Bible-thumper. Don was in his mid-30s, divorced. Even when he was just getting to know Tammy, Don already started helping out with her son Raymond, who was born with a cleft palate. The condition had left baby Raymond with an opening in his lip and roof of his mouth, requiring corrective surgeries. After a while, I noticed that Tammy had this little deformed baby. He got a bilateral cleft palate 
and this baby is squirting milk up out of his nose. There ain't nothing there. The inside of his lip, the top part, was on the outside. And I'd get in there, and she'd be just wiped. I mean, she'd be wiped out of sleep. I couldn't stand to get her up and say, go over there and feed him. So I fed him. Changed the diaper and put him back. Raymond was a baby. Raymond was like two months old when I met Don. Two, three months old. And Raymond was born with a hair lip. Dawn was very good at taking me to all my doctor's appointments and making sure that, you know, like during surgeries and stuff. So he was very supportive of Raymond and took on the father role right away. Raymond's daddy never had anything to do with us. Dawn and Tammy fell in love. After a while, I got the respect in her and she respected me. And I don't know how everybody else feels, but just because there was an age different and we get along with each other does not mean that I'm out of line or she's out of line. She's a grown woman, had a baby. Uh, I don't think, you know, I'm doing her wrong as long as I do her right. And after a while, we got to liking each other. One day I said, uh, me and you? And she said, yep. Nobody else? Yep. I said, okay. And after like four years, she she said, Don, if you die, I don't have nothing to remember you by. She said, I'd like to have a baby with you. And I said, well, how about if I just buy you a car? <laughs> she always said, stop acting stupid. I said, I ain't acting. I said, and right off, she got pregnant. I said, Tammy, I don't have the money to pay for a baby. She said, Don, everybody out here, people all over the world is having kids, having on the welfare. And we had a kid. When Raymond was five years old, Don and Tammy had their son, Luther. Beautiful baby that loved his mom and daddy. It was really just a simple life. I mean, you know, he'd go to work every day. I was a stay-at-home mom and... We went to church three, four times a week. Don had a bunch of different jobs. At times, he'd even worked as a reserve police officer, so he actually knew James York Brown, the Gilmer police sergeant, who eventually would be accused of kidnapping and murdering Kelly Wilson. I didn't like James Brown. He was the cop. You probably know about him. He was all right, but I thought he was a bad guy. Well, he's always smarting off to me. He's, oh, you think you're badass or something. He said, I'm a boxer. He said, you ever want to stop the car and get after it? He said, we can. And I said, well, I know how to box and I can use my feet too. He said, you're in the martial arts. I said, I can kick you enough. You can't get close to me. And I said, well, I said, we're going to look real funny on South Road, two cops fighting. But he was just, I, some people take it that they don't know I'm easy going. I'm not a smart ass or anything. So um, he take me to his house and his wife fixed chicken and and he treated me as good as gold. Don and Sergeant James York Brown patched things up years before Kelly's disappearance. Don and Tammy, Raymond and Luther lived in government housing in Gilmer. Their neighbor was a young woman named Wanda Hicks. She had two sons, the Hicks kids from a guy named Bad Jimmy. 
from what I understood is that those kids and Wanda were put in the project apartment right there. They were being sheltered from her ex because her ex was abusive. From what I understand, the kids had mental problems from all that crap. I don't know why they went and said, hey, you know, because they're the ones that actually started the accusations against me and Don. From what I understand, that's how we got into this. The name Wanda might sound familiar. If I open my mouth, they have threatened to kill Wanda. I have seen marks on Wanda's throat. And I asked Wanda what happened to her throat, and she wouldn't tell me. I don't know if she was scared to tell me or what. That's from the interrogation of Connie Martin, a suspect turned witness in the criminal investigation against the family accused of kidnapping and murdering Kelly Wilson. At first, Tammy says she has no inkling about the abuse allegations leveled against Wanda and the Kerrs. She was real strict with her kids, and that's why I thought she was a good mother, you know what I mean? I was like, never seen her whip on her kids or nothing, you know, but she kept her kids in line, you know, they, they were pretty decent. I know the oldest one acted out a lot and got sent home from school a lot, like stabbing kids with forks and shit like that, but... Other than that, I mean, I don't know anything else about her. I know that when she married, when I met her, she wasn't a cur. Her name was Hicks. And then um, she started dating Wendell, and Don knew Wendell through, you know, Gilmer's small town. All them guys, they were all raised together. Later, investigators would claim that Wendell was the ringleader of the Kerr's satanic cult in Gilmer. We had went to school together. I never had sex with none of the, none of the Kerr women and uh, never cared to. You know, they don't hang out together, but they all know, we all know each other because it's such a small town. Don's, oh, I know him. That's, that's Wendell Kerr, you know, and sometimes Don will say, hey, you know, whatever. And then she was like, I'm going to get married. I'm going to marry Wendell. And I was like, oh, that's sweet. I helped her get ready for her wedding to him. And I went out to the Kerr house, the old man, old woman Kerr, the mama, daddy. I was at their house one time for the wedding. And we were there probably uh, an hour, hour and a half maybe. I went out to wedding one time. There was a preacher. Wendell and his wife got married. That's all I did, just went to a wedding. The first thing you know, I'm a cannibal to eating people in the back. They had a witching circle. That was the only time I've ever really actually hung out with the curves. You know what I mean? Other than that, I don't know anything else about them. I don't never been around them, except for hay at the bus stop or whatever, you know, with our kids. Them kids were good kids, I thought, you know. Tammy's son, Raymond, wasn't really friends with the Hicks kids for a reason. Yeah, they lived across the sidewalk from us up here at the government housing. One of them was older than me, and I think one of them was younger than me. We would play every now and again. We didn't always get along because at one point, Don had bought their bicycle. But I remember I came home from school one day. I'd been wanting a bicycle, and I went in my room, and I had two bicycles. And I remember, like, being real excited, like, those are both mine? And they're like, yeah, you got two bikes. But when I would go outside... They bought it from the neighbor, so the neighbor kids, they they still looked at it as that was their bikes, you know. We would argue over those bicycles, but I was, like I said, I was the only child. I wasn't used to sharing, and I was like, hold up, I got two bikes, they're brand new, and I gotta let them ride one of them, like, 
you know, so we really like argue and fight over those bikes. One day, the Hicks kids were gone. Wendell Kerr and Wanda Hicks had just gotten married in a ceremony outside the Kerr home on Cherokee Trace. Days later, Child Protective Services removed the Kerr and Hicks kids from the home. The Kerrs have been described as, quote, marginal characters in Gilmer, so most people around town probably didn't even notice that some country folks lost their kids. They took Wendell's kids away because he had been accused of molesting his kids. The first time they came to the door, me and Don were asleep, and they were wanting us to go down to the uh, police station and talk. And we agreed, and we went, and um, that's when they just started asking questions about the curves. And basically, it was just, you know, have you ever seen Wanda Kerr hit her kids? And have you ever seen any kind of abuse? And, and I was like, no, you know, I, you know, she's just a young girl that's got all these little babies and, you know, thought she was a pretty decent mom. The two Hicks boys were placed with foster mom Barbara Bass and her husband Charles. If the name Barbara Bass sounds familiar, she was mentioned in episode three. The Basses were in their early 40s and lived in a big country home a little more than half an hour from Gilmer. They would have been empty nesters if they hadn't filled the house with foster children. Barbara described herself as very down-to-earth, very basic, and trying to help people. She had been the East Texas foster parent of the year, I think the year before. That was Melvin Dodd, the founding member of the Justice for Kelly Wilson Committee. Back then, there was this amusement park in Shreveport, Louisiana, just across the state line from Texas. I remember the commercials when I was a kid and always wanted to go. Never got to. Raymond did, though. Our church had went out to an amusement park called Hamill Park. And while we were there, the Hicks kids were in foster home. And we had saw them with their foster parents, our church group, and they would waved or something. And they wouldn't let us talk to them. Like the foster parents that they were with were kind of like, hey, y'all need to keep y'all's distance type thing. And I was a kid. We just kind of like waved at each other. When they asked one of those Hicks boys, like, how do you know that kid? They were like, he was our neighbor. And then they were like, well, did y'all's parents abuse him too? And one of them were like, yeah. So one of them kids had lied to her or whatever foster parents they were with saying that I had been molested with them, like all like in some big group or something, like some kid orgy or something. I don't know. Like That's how we got drawn into the whole mess. Raymond never should have waved to those Hicks kids. What he describes as a typical childhood. It was school, church, family, school, church, family. Like that was basically my life for the first seven years. That life, as he knew it, was over. From Imperative Entertainment, I'm Wes Ferguson. This is Devil Town. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. This is Chapter 5, Raymond. Raymond Smith is 36 years old now. He's skinny, dark hair, dark eyes. After bouncing around some, he recently moved back to Gilmer and lives with his stepdad, Don Holman. In the early 90s, during the Kerr and Kelly Wilson investigations, Raymond was said to be a smart and inquisitive little boy. I can remember my mom had sent me down on the back porch one day up there, and she said something along the lines like, uh, Somebody wants to come speak with you or something like that. Whoever it is comes to talk to us, uh, be honest with them, tell them the truth, and want to ask questions. In the very, very, very beginning, they kept, the cops kept saying, is it okay if we let somebody uh, talk to Raymond at school? I said, go, go talk to him. They questioned Raymond five times. I mean, how many damn times were they going to go question him until he said something? I mean, basically is what it was, you know, they weren't going to quit going up there. Probably about like a week or so after that, I was playing in the front yard one day and uh, sheriff's department pulled up. That's when I get a knock at the door and they're coming to take my kids away. They had a big stack of papers. And uh, they told my mom, they were like, uh, we're here to take the kids. And uh, I wasn't frightened at the time because Don was a patrolman, you know, like, so I wasn't scared of police. Don happened to be out of town that day. Raymond's little brother, Luther, only two years old, was absolutely terrified. I'll never forget them taking him from us and him screaming at the top of his lungs. I want my daddy. I want my daddy. They told us, they said, you know, uh, you, you can get something for you, you know, go grab you a toy, you can get your brother a toy, and, uh... What toy did you get? I grabbed a Bible that the church had given me. It was, uh, it was blue with silver, had my name, Raymond Smith, printed on it, like, real nice, professional, like, printed into it, and, uh, I grabbed Luther's pillow. And then, uh... They hauled us down the road and took us to a uh, foster family. That first family, they were real nice. We were out of our element, but it was a normal, you know, situation. They bring me, uh, I think they did bring me for a visit with my mom and them, uh, my mom and Don. And then uh, usually it was to go see Ann Gore. She was ahead of the case at the time. We've talked about Ann Gore throughout the series. She was the first CPS worker to discover abuse in the Kerr family. Now, Ann Gore was protecting Raymond also. Then uh, there was a day that they brought me up there. Ann Gore was like, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. And she wants to ask you some questions. And then next thing I know, we're like going to get in the van. There ain't no seats in the van. And they're like, I want you to lay down. They had me laid down in the back. And Barbara Bass was laid down there beside me. Yes, that Barbara Bass, the foster parent. 
she had come to the CPS office in her Ford van to help Angor coax some information out of Raymond. And uh, she said, well, you know, you don't be scared. We're just going to ask you some questions and this and that. And uh, Angor was driving and Debbie Minchu was uh, in the passenger seat, I believe. We rode out of the CPS office and at that time what they were asking us about was all about uh, being molested or touched or something along the lines of that. You know, and I tell them no. They say, well, did they touch you? I say, no, I ain't never been touched or nothing like that. Like, you know, where, where, where's this, you know? Like, when you're a kid, you don't realize what the hell's going on. But that ended up turning into uh, Barbara Bass getting behind me and wrapping her arms around me. And then she took her legs, you know, hold my legs down. And she'd take her thumb and stick it in my rib cage here and rub up and down on my ribs. Barbara Bass, who died in 2017, was using the holding technique a controversial therapy of restraining kids, like in a bear hug, that was supposed to help them form a bond with their foster parents. But Barbara Bass had adapted the holding technique for her own purposes. Apparently there was some kind of radical theory about getting kids to disclose things they wouldn't normally disclose through this holding technique. This is former Assistant Attorney General Shane Phelps. Which, in, in what I came to understand about this holding technique... Um, was that it was just torture. What is the holding technique? Uh, the theory behind it, I guess, is that the children have to be, I guess, forced to disclose. They, they hold them tightly. Like, I mean, it, it's a crime, actually. It's unlawful restraint. They're, they're holding these children tightly, and they will not let go of them until they disclose what they think this child has to disclose. I remember I was saying, no, no, you know, and I'm squirming, I'm fighting with her. And then she would ask me questions repetitively, you know, did, did, uh, did your parents do this? Did they touch you? Did they touch you? At some point, Raymond says, Angor climbed into the back of the van with him and Barbara Bass. Angor was in the back there and she was holding my legs down because I was fighting and squirming and everything. Barbara couldn't hold me down or whatnot. Uh, at that time, they had a big billboard sign. Right there where the subway is now here in Gilmer, there was a big billboard sign and it said Kelly Wilson, you know? And uh, I can remember seeing that when we were leaving the CPS office. I was laid down in that van and I could see, you know, the Dairy Queen sign. Now I seen that Kelly Wilson sign. And the next thing I know, all I can see is trees. You know, we're on some old top road back here. Barbara Bass and the caseworkers, Ann Gore and Debbie Minshew, had driven Raymond out of town into the woods. Well, what the hell are these people doing, you know? And uh, so they kept rubbing my ribs and asking me questions, you know, did, did your mom and Don molest you? And uh, I was, you know, no, 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 no. Finally, I said yes. And when I would tell her yes, she would stop rubbing my ribs, you know, and then like kind of pamper me like, oh, it's, it's okay. You know, nobody's going to hurt you no more. We... We're, we're here now. And then, and then she'd start right back again, you know, asking more stuff. And I remember feeling like, I remember feeling like they were gonna like kill me or something. Like, cause I didn't know what was going on. And so I said something like along the lines where I said Kelly Wilson's name, I'd seen that sign. 
Okay, did you hear that? Right there. That was the first time Kelly Wilson, the missing teenager, was ever connected to the Kerr case. Raymond was confessing to anything and everything to stop the women from hurting him when he blurted out Kelly's name. Raymond would eventually tell Barbara Bass that he also took part in something much bigger. This kid, it was for more than an hour, just not letting this kid go. I guess he was struggling. And then they would take their knuckles and they would rub it painfully up and down his, his ribs um, until he, uh, according to them, disclosed this satanic coven and in the process soiled himself. So, I mean, basically, they, from my perspective, they tortured him. He soiled himself. And for them, again, this is part of that dynamic where they think if something happens, it just, the only thing that registers in their brain is, oh, this must have been such an important disclosure for this child that he actually soiled himself. So in their mind, that proves that it was true. And, and I mean, that is, from my perspective, perverted thinking. It is you have your mind set on something and all you are going to perceive are things that tangentially prove what you think is going on. It's um, cognitive bias um, where you form an opinion and, and all you're going to perceive are things that inform and prove that opinion and ignore anything that doesn't. Raymond insists he didn't soil himself. He says one of the women soiled herself and let Raymond take the blame. I don't know how much like time passed from that first time I met Barbara Bass, but uh, one day they told me, they said, uh, you and your brother are getting ready to go to a new home. I didn't know it, but I was going to Barbara Bass's home. She realized that I, I could spot landmarks and was familiar with the area. Uh, from that day forward, when they would drive me to Gilmer, back and forth from their house, I was always blindfolded. Got to their house and uh, there was a bunch of kids at her house. A whole bunch of kids. That would be the Kerr kids. I knew two of them from the school bus. And so that was kind of like, like a relief, like seeing somebody you know after being taken away from everything that you know. Still not realizing that it was connected, that we were involved in the same thing. They set all us kids down there and they told us the house rules. No masturbating. I was seven years old. I didn't know what masturbation was. It's like, what's, what's masturbating, you know? And all the other kids are sitting there and they're looking at me and they're laughing. They're like, <laughs> he don't know. You know what it is. As Raymond settled into his new home, there were some nice things about living with Barbara Bass. Like this mixed emotion of like how, even like how I still remember it, like, because there's a part of my mind I remember it as like, you know, like, man, we had all them toys and lived in a real big home. And, you know, like, it's different when you come from a project, you know, going into an environment like that. You know, we had a pet tiger. I guess, really? Yeah, at the Bass home, they had a tiger. What's the tiger's name? Tigger. Tigger's tiger. Yep. And it was a Bengal tiger. And it was only like a year old, over six foot tall when it would stand up on its hind legs, like spread out. So that was pretty cool. They'd feed the tiger frozen chickens. And about once a month, they'd take a live chicken and they'd throw it in there with that tiger. And it'd pounce around like, like, like a regular house cat plays with something. You know, it'd play with that chicken. And 
Then it'd kill it and it'd swim around and pluck its feathers out. So we'd sit there and watch it eat and stuff. One day, uh, we woke up and we all go downstairs to breakfast. We'd all have breakfast in the dining area and we had chores to do. It'd be on the, you know, on the refrigerator door, you know, this day you feed the chickens, you do rabbit, they had animals. And so, you know, well, she had marked on that calendar holding day. Holding day was not a happy day. And I noticed like all the other kids in the in the house, like they got like, you know, sketchy and like depressed. One of the kids was telling me, he's like, oh man, it's holding day. And everybody's like in a real bad mood. There's like 15 of us kids. And uh, we'd all line up on the right side of the stairwell. And what she would do is she'd have us run up the right side of the steps, all the way up the landings, all the way to the top floor, all the way up, all the way down, all the way up, all the way down. And I mean, this this went on for like, you know, an hour, two hours. This was not like a run up there for like 10 minutes and we're done with this thing. This was a all day event. And I get tired, I kind of like sit down and the kids are telling me, they're like, no, like, like you know, they were terrified because they've been through this. They're like, no, don't, don't do that. Like, don't make her mad. Like, everybody's getting red in the face. Kids are starting to cry. And uh, she would, she would stand there on the, on the, uh, in the hallway there on the landing, and she'd like ridicule us. You know, that's why your parents don't love you, and that's why your mom you and that's why your daddy don't love you and and so she's just yelling all this vulgar shit the whole time we're running and so kids at different point in time are starting to break down crying that's what she call it breakdown the first floor you had the kitchen second floor was like a big living area with a bedroom then the third floor you had bedrooms and then that fourth floor was like an attic that was where me and two other boys stayed so there was like two or three girls that shared a room on that third floor right at the top of that stairwell. That was their room. Well, that's where she would do the holding. It sounds like Barbara was trying to get the kids tired so they wouldn't fight back when she deployed the holding technique. I still didn't realize what was going on, that I'd already experienced the rib rubbing and all that. Well, what she'd do is she'd pull them in there and she'd, get them on, she'd put us on that bed. And you could, hear, you could hear the kids through the door screaming. She'd go one at a time. She'd just pick one all of a sudden. You know, she'd pick you out while you're running. All right, you, come on. And then she'd take them in there, and she'd rub the ribs and hold them down. You'd hear them screaming and hollering and fighting and everything. And, uh, you know, you could hear her cussing and them cussing. And next thing you know, they'd come out, and they're just worn out. Like, you know, after that whole process, you're just tired. You're like, like, you know, drained, emotionally drained. And, uh... And then they get to go outside, you know, and go mess with, you know, out in the yard, go play games, whatever. I was thinking they were just bad kids. I was like, you know, dang, what the heck is going on? Like, you know, they're in there cussing her and, you know, fighting and screaming and yelling. Like, man, this is bad. Like, you know, all we got to do is mine or something like. And uh, then she took me in there and did the same thing. Then she started asking more questions, you know, and I'm like, I don't know what to say, so I'm sitting there coming up with these lies. And I used to get in trouble for lying. You don't lie to your adults. So once I lied to her, I was really, I was more afraid of her. 
you know, like, man, what is she going to do now? You know, she's already treating me like this. What's she going to do now if I, you know, try to tell her, like, look, lady, I'm lying to you, like, you know. And so eventually I ended up saying something about James Brown. As in James York Brown, the Gilmer police sergeant leading the search for Kelly Wilson, Raymond knew several police officers through his stepdad, Don. So, when making false claims in a desperate attempt to end the holding and rib rubbing, it was only natural that he'd bring up Sergeant Brown. I already lied on my mom, I lied on Don, now I'm lied on James Brown. In my mind at seven, I was thinking, all right, like James Brown, he's like, you know, he's like a big time cop. You know, if I say his name, he's probably going to like show up, you know, and he knows Don and, you know, my mom and I'll be able to go home and, you know, like, you know, and then I can tell him like, hey, she's hurting me. Like, no, but it didn't work out like that. No, it didn't. Barbara can be really, really nice, you know, some days. And then other times, she just, she'd be real brutal and just, you know, you little mother, you know, just real trash talk. So I think all the kids were scared of her, but, and they walked on pins and needles around her. Now, her husband, Charlie Bass, was real quiet, easygoing. You'd never hear him cuss or say something rude to you. He never punished us. He would leave. And then, you know, he'd leave for days at a time and then come back. And he was never home when we'd have that holding process. He was always gone. That was something I noticed. Like, I could always tell, like, because she would do it on a spur of a moment. She wouldn't be like, hey, tomorrow's holding day. You'd wake up and come downstairs and you'd see it posted on the refrigerator, you know, like, today's holding day. Then it got to where when she'd ask me questions, uh... It won't like she'd just ask a question and wait for an answer. She'd ask a question along the lines of, you know, uh, so did y'all, did, were y'all in a dungeon or something like that? And I'm going, no, you know, and then it's no. Well, tell me where the dungeon is, you know, no. Well, did y'all dress up like devils? No, you know, and she's rubbing your ribs the whole time, you're screaming, hollering. So finally it got to where I realized, like, what, whatever she was asking me, I knew she wanted a yes answer to. You know what I mean? Like, I figured that out real quick. Like, all right, if I say yes, she quits rubbing my ribs. And then she's, oh, you're, you're, oh, you poor little baby, you know? And she'd sit there and try to, like, coddle us. So it gave you, like, a mixed emotion of, you know, the abuser is now the, you know, oh, everything's all right, you know? And that's what she was doing to us. From the moment Raymond had arrived at the Bass House, he says his mentality changed. He retreated inward, went into survival mode. From that day forward, I was real guarded with all the adults. I mean, any adult. didn't matter who they were. they they take me to a, a church thing. Anywhere we went, I avoided adults. All adults in my mind were out to get me. I was like, you can't trust any of these people. Like, they're all going to try to hurt us. They're lying. They're all like, something's wrong with them. They're, they're talking about killing people and eating them and devils and just like everything that I was scared of. Because like when you're seven, you go to church, you know, they're telling you like, hey, be good so you don't go to hell. The, the Kirk kids had told her something about a, a devil truck and 
being involved in these uh, seances and you know they're burning stuff at night and killing babies and stuff and so when one of them kids would say something to her like that that was the new thing that was on my plate when she was asking me questions you know so and then I'm just going along I'm trying to keep up with these kids you know whatever they're saying and the whole time I didn't realize that my mom and Don were in jail one day I was acting up probably just doing like some regular kid stuff and uh, she punished me and she sat me down and she gave me a cheese sandwich you know like two pieces of bread piece of cheese in the middle and like a glass of water all the other kids are eating you know whatever and uh, when she put it down in front of me she's like yeah well you can eat what uh, what your parents are eating in jail today since you want to be acting up that was the first time like that I realized like all right, these things I'm saying and all this is like, you know, they're not at home just ignoring me. Like, because at that point, I thought, like, my mom and Don had just, like, left us there and was, like, you know, like, gave up on us or something. Yeah, I didn't know, like, how serious everything was. In fact, Raymond's mom, Tammy, and stepdad, Don, were among the Gilmer residents indicted for kidnapping, raping, and murdering Kelly Wilson, along with the Kerr family and Sergeant Brown. They were in jail because of Raymond's coerced claims, plus the statements that Wanda Kerr and Connie Martin made to Special Prosecutor Scott Lyford and his investigators, Steve Baggs and Brooks Flagg. Remember those other foster parents who fled to West Texas trying to escape from the Kerrs, only to grievously injure one Kerr boy and then commit suicide? Well, Barbara Bass was afraid the Kerrs would come after her, too. Or she wanted the kids to think that. They always had us feeling like somebody was out to get us. Like, I remember one time they were saying, yeah, they're going to try and come kill y'all. You know, like, you know, like my Don and my mom had hired a bunch of people to come kill us or something. like. And so I can remember all us kids sometimes at the house, it'd be like, you know, like red alert or something. Like there was a stranger spotted down the road or something like neighbors would call. Like it was a network where we lived out there at that bass home. You know, I'd ask them, like, you know, when am I, when do I get to go home? And they, you're, you don't get to go home, you know. Your parents sold your toys, and, you know, they don't want you, like, you know. Chasing leads on the satanic cult in Gilmer, members of the Lifer team took the children to sites where the ritual abuse and murder of Kelly Wilson were supposed to have occurred. And I can remember, I can remember being with uh, the, the Hicks kids and the Kerr kids. And they had us all as, as a group, and they wanted to know about some dungeon. Those kids kept saying that they were uh, sexually abused in a dungeon. Here's Shane Phelps. And they got the wildest stories out of these kids, um, that there was a dungeon where they were taken. Well, where the kids had took them is right down the road here, headed out of Gilmer towards Gladewater. There's a road that shoots back over. It's like a little old top road. We all went as a group, and they're going, well, do y'all remember how to get there? And, you know, the kids are kind of arguing with each other. No, it's over here in this part of the woods. And the one boy, he was like, no, I don't know where they got it from. But they did know that location. You know, them kids, it took probably like 15, 20 minutes. And so the foster parents and and them, there might have been some caseworkers, maybe even law enforcement were there that day. And uh, 
we all went down and into the woods and walked through the woods and they were like yeah and they had names for everything they were like this is the devil's wood you know everything was like devil cult like everything had a name or some kind of like title and uh they were like yeah this is the dungeon and what it actually was it was just a tornado shelter in the woods like there might have been a house at one point there who knows that was the dungeon no, I ain't never seen a tornado shelter. I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, you know, I'm so curious about stuff. And, uh, you know, they were like, y'all want to come down here? And the kids were acting all scared, you know. They were like, oh. And I remember just being like, yeah, I want to go down and see what's in there. Like, you know, go down the steps. It was just a little small tornado shelter. I can remember they took me to the airport here in Gilmer one day where they had a, a they picked up a shed and the Kirk kids had said that that their grandma had Kelly Wilson tied up in a shed and had tortured her and raped her and murdered her inside the shed. It was red with white trim on it. I went in there, literally went in there with the Texas Rangers and helped them uh, gather pieces of hair and stuff. And then there were like little drawers and stuff with like screws and you know stuff you find in somebody's shed, you know, <coughs> screwdrivers, things like that. And they were collecting hairs and putting it in big plastic bags. I remember being there that day with them and doing that whole thing. And then them asking me, like, you know, is this the shed that Kelly Wilson was in? And and I can remember telling them yes, you know, lying to them. I was scared. I'd stick them to my story, like, that I lied about. And I was, yeah, 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 you know. You know, I'd never seen that shed before in my life come and find out the hairs that they had collected out of that shed it came from like dogs and you know cows or something like you know it was like animal hairs or something but I can remember at the time like when I was a kid being like really scared like like wow I'm in the shed where somebody was killed and tortured and like you know like they're pulling this hair out of you know and I'm like man that's a dead person's hair like you know like when you're seven that kind of stuff's scary Raymond had already been through so much. Almost unbelievably, for him, the worst was yet to come. Every every kid that I was in foster home with was on some kind of drug. They had every kid was drugged out of their minds. You know, I was taking like six, seven pills a day at eight years old. And wasn't nothing wrong with me. I remember one time they took me to a hospital and they made me get on a table. And when I walk in, I got uh, Brooks Flags is there and Stephen Baggs or something like that. Steve Baggs and Brooks Flagg were the special investigators. They wear a pistol, you know, cowboy hats, their badges and everything. And uh, they had never done nothing abusive to me. They were always kind of like, you know, my buddies. I'd ride around with them. They might ask me a question or two, and, you know, I'd just go along with what I'd already told Barbara. And, uh, you know, they go get me hot dogs and ice cream cones or something, you know. We, they were just kind of like somebody cool to hang out with. But uh, I remember they took me in this room, and there's like three or four doctors there, and Barbara Bass is there, and uh, Steve Baggs and Brooks Flags were there, and they wanted me to strip down naked in front of all of them. Well, I got real nervous and scared because everything that Barbara Bass talked about was abusive and devils and death, and you know, it was a lot of heavy stuff for a kid. And so I was sitting there, I'm scared, and. Uh, she had me get up on the table. They wanted me to, uh, you know, I started crying. 
And uh, Rooks Flags was like, are, are you scared somebody's going to hurt you in here? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, you want me to pull out my pistol? Like, you know, and like, it may, I, I, I'm not going to let nobody hurt you. Here, Raymond describes how one of the doctors performed an invasive search for signs of molestation while the other adults watched. It's so upsetting, we decided to cut it. And that alone, that right there messes you up. Like when you got somebody sitting there, they're wearing badges, they're supposed to protect you. And they're not, they're, they're the ones that are doing it. You're raised up to believe in God, and the law. Then you go through something like that, they're the ones that are hurting us. Ultimately, Raymond would spend two years in foster care. He'd been taken from his mom and stepdad, Don, who were falsely accused of murdering Kelly Wilson based on Raymond's own coerced claims. Raymond had been through hell. He needed someone, anyone, to save him, to bring him back to Gilmer where he belonged. And his parents, Tammy and Don, they needed rescuing too. That's next time on Devil Town. Devil Town is a production of Imperative Entertainment. It was written and created by me, Wes Ferguson. Executive producer is Jason Hoke. Audio engineering and editing by Shane Freeman and Jason Hoke. Original score is by Robert Ellis. Recording by Austin Sisler at Eastside Studios. If you like the show, leave a review and don't forget to tell your friends. Thanks for listening. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.